0: And welcome back to Antiquity in the Modern World. I'm your host, Drew Nolan, along with my fellow hosts, Lainey Lyons.
1: Hey, guys.
0: And John Healy. Hi. Today, we're going to be talking about how the ancient people in antiquity affected the environment through certain methods. Laney, why don't you start us off by uh, talking a little bit about how ancient myths depicted human environmental changes in antiquity.
1: Yeah, okay, so I think a really great example of this, it will be Hades Town, which is a musical I actually got to see this summer, which is based off the two Greek myths of Orpheus and Eurydice and the rape of Persephone. So these are both classical myths. Orpheus and Eurydice is essentially a love story where on the day of their wedding, Eurydice is tragically bitten by a snake and dies. And in his despair, Orpheus plays a song on his lyre um, which is so moving that it convinces Hades to allow Eurydice to return to the land of the living with him. The only condition was Orpheus couldn't turn around to see if she was following until they were both safe back on the surface. But in his eagerness, Orpheus does turn around and his wife is carried away. The classical story of the Raper Persephone explains the origin of the seasons. And again, Persephone is the goddess of springtime and... Hades, who's the god of the underworld, kidnaps her and marries her. Um, And in her anger, her mother Demeter won't let any crops grow in the world up above until she's returned to her. And the solution to this is that Persephone remains in the underworld with her husband for half the year, um, in which crops won't grow, but she returns to the surface for the other half, which is when springtime comes and the harvest comes. And this is what results in our four seasons.
0: So these myths seem like good stories and all, but how do they actually, like, come together on the subject of environmental changes in this musical?
1: Yeah, so it's actually put together in a really clever way. In the musical, Hades no longer abides by this agreement to allow his wife to go back to the surface. So she's trapped in the underworld, and it completely disrupts the natural order of things. The world that Orpheus and Eurydice live in now is one plagued by these scorching summers and freezing winters where no crops can grow and people are just starving. Um, In the majority of the play, Orpheus is working on a song in which he's trying to remind Hades of his love for his wife so that he allows her to return to the surface and bring spring back to the land of man. And in this musical, Hades serves as the embodiment of industrialization. So his underworld is now referred to as Hades Town, and it's basically this huge polluting factory to harvest riches from the earth, and it's the cause of the terrible weather up above. So it's also a refuge from the world up above because it promises food and shelter and safety, but the price is that you have to stay forever. And Orpheus and Eurydice are both starving and struggling to survive in this terrible weather. So Eurydice eventually makes the choice that she is going to go to Hades' town because she can't like bear these climate changes any longer, but when she arrives, it becomes clear that Hades' town is actually the cause of all these problems happening on the surface, that the factory and everything it's creating is what is causing the terrible weather and everything that's plaguing the humans up above. And in the end, Orpheus comes to the underworld like he does in the original myth to retrieve his wife singing a song that's very beautiful and again moves the king of the underworld to mercy and allows him to take his wife back to the surface. But just like the original myth, Orpheus doesn't succeed and she's brought back to the underworld and he has to return alone. And this musical really is just a commentary on industrialization and climate change. And it brings to light the ways in which we interact with the natural world and how our actions have the ability to affect the environment So while these stories weren't originally written with the attention of commenting on industrialization and climate change, they help us understand our current climate today surrounding pollution and climate change. Looking back on these myths help us understand how humans affect the environment. And we can really see these human effects on nature through looking at warfare and farming, even in antiquity.
0: Yes, Lainey, that's actually a great point. And we can definitely see how humans in antiquity affected the land and agriculture. Um, through warfare. So some of the examples of this um, include deforestation, where soldiers would cut down many trees in a certain area in order to create ships and carriages and weapons, just to name a few examples. And this deforestation created erosion and river runoff, which affected the land in a negative manner. They also would uh, use this wood to create fire in order to warm the soldiers at night and also to use fire as another type of weapon. Soldiers would also take a lot of water from rivers and ponds in certain areas in order to supply the troops in war um, in order to keep them hydrated for battle. And this poorly affected the environment by lowering the water supplied in isolated areas. The soldiers also used animals in warfare. Um, like horses for transportation, cattle for food, and bulls for sacrifices because they always wanted to start a battle with a sacrifice in order to receive good omens. (laughs) Lastly, disease is another way humans affected the land during war. Since the soldiers lived in close quarters, if one soldier got sick, then basically many of them would get sick, and this would make the crops and the land around them riddled with disease and not be able to be harvested.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Drew, I definitely think you're onto something there talking about disease. I think that over time, many of history's greatest armies have been felled not by other armies, but by their own hand through disease. I think that the climate plays a huge role in that aspect in determining history in general. Um, Do you have any uh, examples in classical literature of warfare uh, directly affecting the environment?
0: I do actually have a great example of that um, in the Iliad in Book 21, Um, Once Achilles found out the death of Patroclus, he basically raged and went on a killing spree against the Trojans. And he threw many of their bodies into a river that was located on the battlefield. And soon after, the river god Xanthus got angry that his river was being overflown with corpses of war. And his river could not flow downstream anymore. So Xanthus actually confronted Achilles in the Iliad um, about his concerns in book 21 on page 452 um, from lines 211 to 221. And I'm going to give you the short passage now. And now swift Achilles would have killed yet more Paeonians had the deep swirling river not addressed him in anger, likening himself to a man and shouted from the depths of his eddies. O Achilles, you are mighty beyond all men, and beyond all men you perform outrageous deeds, for the gods themselves defend you always. If the son of Cronus grants you to destroy every Trojan, drive them away from me and commit your evil deeds upon the plain, for my lovely flowing waters are full of corpses nor is there any place where I can pour forth my stream into the bright salt sea crammed with corpses. Your killing is annihilation. Come and let me alone. I stand aghast, leader of the people." And this is a great quote showing how, again, warfare has affected the land negatively. And Achilles actually responded in a negative manner. And the two of them um, pursued in a fight And this, again, story is a great example of how land affected, I mean, land was affected by warfare by creating flow stoppage and, again, river runoff.
2: Yeah, the chaos of war contrasts severely with the quiet lifestyle of a farmer. War was definitely a huge part of the classical world, as dark as that may sound. I think that a lot of the greatest stories that have been read about the classical world come from... Uh, depictions of great battles and mighty heroes, and I think that because of that, war sort of takes a center stage in a lot of classical literature in its relation to climate change. But much of what we have learned about the classical period comes from smaller stories, stories about things like farming, which was just as important. Now, the brutality of war makes its relation to environmental change much more visible and discussable. Stories of bodies being thrown into rivers are a glaring sign. The classical authors had an idea of this. However, I think that both... Farming and war contributed massively to climate change in the classical period. When you think about it, agricultural production was easily one of the most important facets of classical life. However, I think its impact is very understated with regards to climate change. The ability of a society to to produce food for itself was paramount, as it was easy in those times for entire populations to starve in times of famine. You had a lot of pressure being put on these farmers to produce for their cities and for their empires. You've got these massive cities and even bigger empires that rely on a literal army of farmers who work day and night to feed these huge populations. Now, farming in the Mediterranean world was by no means easy. Much has been discussed about the climate of the Mediterranean region and its ability to sustain crops. We discussed how the arid temperatures made farming near impossible in certain seasons. We also discussed about the geography of the land, which limited farming to certain regions. Much of Greece and Italy are covered in mountains and hills, so there's only a very small amount of land that can be farmed. When you think about the massive populations that have to be served here, these little plots of land are getting served over and over and over again, and at some point, this overusage is going to have an effect. We, We talked a lot about how when J. Donald Hughes, in his book, Environmental Problems of the Greeks and Romans, he quotes Hesiod, who said that the land was bad in winter, sultry in summer, and good at no time. Now, this quote is very short and very pessimistic, but it speaks volumes about the harshness of farming. Many of these farmers got up at early times of the day to work their crops and to work their fields for the benefit of the rest of the people. When all these factors are added up, you get a kind of perfect storm of sorts. These farmers, who were greatly respected for the important work that they did, were left with many mouths to feed and very little land in which to produce it. You get the sense that agriculture in the Mediterranean world was a sort of ticking time bomb slowly deteriorating. Hughes also quotes Columella on page 120, saying that no one alive in this day could recall when the grain harvest produced as much as four times the seed that had been sown. Now, so coming from someone like Columna, a very respected professor of the day who must have had some sort of idea of, 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 uh, of history, it's very disturbing to see this. That someone like Columna would think something like this and say something like this is very negative, but it tells you a lot about how how the ancients and the classical people thought about their land. Equally important to agriculture and equally detrimental to climate change was erosion. Erosion was incredibly, incredibly detrimental to a lot of the land in the Mediterranean.
0: Do you have any example of like a certain place in antiquity or a certain location where you can see um, how farming negatively affected
2: the land? Yeah, if you think if you look at Ostia, which was a very important port city in Italy, uh, this is a very, it's a textbook example of that. Ostia had a lot of importance because of its location and because of its proximity to Rome. When you think about how much important Rome was to the Mediterranean world, Ostia was the port city for Rome. Lane, you've actually
1: been there, right? Yeah, I have. Um, it was very interesting to visit. When you go there, it just looks like a ghost town. It's about an hour outside of Rome by car. And when you actually get there, it's nowhere near the ocean. Like, it is not even close. <laughs> and it just makes you see like how much like soil deposits there were at that time because it was the major port
0: of Rome. From all the erosion, right?
1: Yeah, and you just can't even tell anymore because it's nowhere near the shoreline anymore. Mm -hmm. And it eventually was abandoned, and that's why there's just these vestiges left behind for the amount of trade that used to come through there. But because of the effects that the people had on the environment, it's just completely, it was no longer used anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really great example of how people in antiquity could contribute to these environmental problems just like we do today. Because topics like global warming, plastic waste, air pollution, caused by factories, and so many more things are a huge topic of discussion. And we can see these through looking at things like Town and how using classical myths can help us further investigate these issues. But we can also see these when we're examining antiquity by looking through stories like the Iliad and getting a good grasp on how war affected people back then and how they perceived the effects of war in their time. But essentially, all these things can really help us understand the effects that people have had on the environment and the problems we've caused in all of this time from antiquity to today. So things like the seasons, warfare, farming have all been affected by people.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for listening to our podcast and we'll see you next week on Antiquity in the Modern World.